And now as we uh, turn to God's word this Easter morning, uh, let me read our passage for the morning. It's from John 20, and uh, it is an account of the first ever resurrection encounter in the history of the world. I'll read John 20 verses 1 and 2 and then 10 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. This is a reference to John, the author of this gospel, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and John check things out. They find the tomb empty, picking up in verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and and I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. All right, before we jump into our passage this morning, uh, let me ask you guys a question first. What is the most important meeting that you've ever had in your life? All right, the most important encounter. There are some meetings that we know are important as they're happening. So if you've ever met a personal hero or someone very famous or, you know, powerful, you know that this is like an important meeting as you're in the moment. But many meetings we don't know are life-changing until we look back on them years later and see that that moment actually set a whole new trajectory in our lives. So maybe it was a lunch, a casual lunch with a colleague, and it was just friendly and casual, but it ended up sparking a conversation that sent you in a totally new direction in your career. Or maybe it was a random introduction that turned into a deep, lasting friendship. Uh, Or maybe it was the first time you met the person who would become your spouse, long before either of you had any notion of the idea. Janet doesn't even remember meeting me for the first time. I was so not on her radar. She was like a real-life adult. She was 29 years old. She had two master's degrees under her belt. She had a career as a physician assistant already underway. I was right out of college, like weeks out of college, 22. Um, I had just graduated with a philosophy degree, and I didn't even know what I wanted to do with it at the time. So I was going to move to Africa to live with a guy I'd never met and just see what happens. No wonder she didn't see me, right? But I saw her, that's for sure. Not in a creepy way, in a romantic way. Come on. And I do remember the first time we met. Uh, It was just a casual hello during a work week at a Christian camp in Durango, Colorado, and I was carrying a shovel, all right? But looking back through the years of marriage and looking back through the years of dating and and even those early months when I was trying to get her to take me seriously, that first encounter, so short, so forgettable in some ways, 
really did change my entire life. I mean, it, it created a family. In some ways, it created my whole world. And I know that all of you have encounters that are like that in your life too, right? Looking back, you can't even imagine a life without that one moment, without that meeting. It set your life on an entirely new trajectory. Well, it's Easter morning, and we are going to look at the most important meeting, not just in a person's life, but in the history of the entire world. All right, the first encounter that any human being had with the resurrected Jesus. Uh, the person who holds that distinction is a woman named Mary Magdalene. We just read about her encounter with Jesus that first Easter morning. But let me read to you what another author says about this world-changing encounter. In verse 16, we read, She turned around. And in the one or two seconds that turn took, I imagine the world shifting ever so slightly on its axis. And, and about the turn's one-second midpoint trajectory History, too, moved almost imperceptibly from B.C. to A.D. See, a second before this turn, there's a woman in the deepest human despair, in the agonizing presence of unconquerable death. And a second after the beginning of this turn, there's a woman in the deepest possible human elation, in the presence of the death-conquering central figure of history. The rush that must have come over this woman in her two-second turn is unimaginable. She's the first person ever to experience the personal presence of the risen Lord. And when she turned to him at this moment, human history took a turn to a responsible hope for the defeat of death and so to, to the defeat of meaninglessness. See, Easter is a celebration of that turn. It's a day to pause and reflect on everything it means to turn from a world without resurrection life to a world that contains resurrection life. Even if it's only one life so far, one man who has died and come out the other side, that's a cosmic shift that demands our attention. So our sermon today is about the anatomy of that turn. But it's not just about the moment our world encounters the resurrection, it's about the moment an individual person encounters it as well. What this turn means for Mary and what this turn means for you and for me, the possibility and the invitation that your life can be turned and changed and transformed by the presence of the very same power that transformed the world that day. So let's start with Mary's story, all right? Mary Magdalene is um, the only follower of Jesus that is named by all four gospel authors as being at the tomb on Sunday morning. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record her devotion to Jesus that day. Her faith is held up in the Bible as a model for all followers of Jesus in, in all times. Whether Jesus is dead or alive, whether she believes perfectly or not, whether she really has much of a plan or not, I mean, how is she going to get past the guards and past the stone to actually give these embalming spices to his body? She doesn't have answers, but it doesn't matter. She's still there. See, even without all the answers on a deeper level than just logic, Mary wants to be near Jesus. She, she needs to be near him. Um, she, she has this stubborn, sticky, abiding, in it to the end and even after the end kind of faith. Wherever Jesus is, or at least wherever he's supposed to be, that's where she wants to be too. So she's there. 
And so we find her alone at the grave of her Lord and friend. She finds the tomb empty. She runs to tell the disciples, you know, the boys who were all hiding in fear while the women were actually out in the world paying their respects to Jesus. Peter and John race to the scene. They gather the facts. They find it empty, and they're off again in a rush. But Mary stays put, a sticky faith, not going anywhere. She's confused. She's sad, but she's present. So where did this devotion to Jesus come from in her life anyway? I mean, how did she develop this kind of an abiding, sticky faith? Well, it's interesting because every gospel author puts her at the tomb, but she's only mentioned one other time in the whole Bible. So we read this in Luke 8. The 12 disciples were with Jesus and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Uh, in one of the offstage scenes in Jesus' ministry, he had met Mary Magdalene and had spiritually healed her. He, he cast seven demons out of her. Now, I don't know what you're struggling with right now in these uncertain days of corona quarantine and economic uncertainty and even uh, legitimate health risk. I don't know your particular difficulties or hardships. I know you have them. We all have them. Uh, We're all in need one way or another, and certainly we're all in spiritual need as well. But I do know, however dark it gets for you, Mary at least can relate. Because being possessed by seven demons, I can't talk from experience, but that's no joke, right? I mean, that's deep spiritual need. This is a spiritually dark place that she's in. The lights have been turned off in her world. She lives in a grayscale world without color, without hope. It's deep despair. But Jesus, the perfect man of love, the powerful God of the universe, enters her darkness and heals her. He changes her. He arrives in her life and transforms her life. And and he freed her from a spiritual prison and then kind of sets her loose to share in ministry with him and enjoy relationships and life in the ways that she couldn't before. Her world was filled with color again. Uh, she, she had hope for the first time in years. She laughed, really laughed for the first time in years. She had a purpose and a mission, maybe for the first time in her life. You can imagine the devotion and the worship that that would generate in her for Jesus. She loved this man with her whole soul. He saved her. Maybe some of you have experienced something close to this when you met Jesus, when he entered your life in power with forgiveness and joy and healing and hope and meaning. You know what it feels like to be able to say with complete honesty, without Jesus, I would be lost. And so Mary shows up and is weeping because her friend is dead. And we all weep when our friends die. She's filled with sorrow but she's also weeping because of the loss of hope that she had put in this man. Not just a friend, but something bigger than that, a savior, a champion, a hero that can fix things in her life that no one else could fix. See, the man that had rescued her was dead, and so now she has to be asking herself, does the rescue last? I mean, it's like the crucifixion had drained all the color right back out of her world. Yes, she still had new friends. Yes, her spirit still breathed the free air that Jesus had given her. But for how long? I mean, does this last? Despite all the power and the miracles and the amazing authoritative teaching 
that Jesus spread liberally around during his life and ministry, the question was, I mean, so what? Like, did it matter long term? I mean, does anything of real change stick? Does anything last? So does anything that you are building your life around or pouring your life into really last? Does any growth or change or betterment that you've experienced in your life last? Does the time and the money and the effort and energy you pour into things make any lasting impact at all? Or is the best that we can hope for in this life a few splashes of color on occasion in a world that always resorts back to the grayscale eventually? Jesus was an incredible man, the most incredible man ever, but now he's dead, just like everybody else will be dead too. So what does it all even matter in the end? And so Mary goes to his tomb to be near the greatest person she's ever known, and she wept for the loss of a friend, but also for the loss of a dream, until the the story takes a strange turn. They have taken away my Lord, she says, and I don't know where they've laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Not at first, anyway. Now, this is interesting, um, because it's not for a lack of love that she doesn't see him right away, right? I mean, it's not for a lack of faith or devotion. She is the only one who stuck it out this far. She's the only one who still wants to be near him, even in death. If anything, it's for a lack of expectation. I mean, you just don't see what you don't expect to see, right? And the thought that one individual would rise from death before the end of the world is a thought that no one had ever believed before this day. It's a totally unique view in all of history up to this point. So she doesn't recognize Jesus um, because resurrection bodies uh, weren't what she was expecting, but she also doesn't recognize him because resurrection bodies are interesting things. All right, now, of course, there's only been one so far in history, but the Bible tells us that Jesus' resurrection is a first fruits of all the others that are going to come, yours and mine. So we should see his new life as a kind of model or a kind of pattern for what is to come, what's in store for the rest of us. And regularly, when people encountered Jesus uh, after his resurrection, they didn't recognize him until they did. Okay, just like this scene. So, so there's something different enough about him that it's not obvious, but there's something similar enough, a, a kind of deep identity, that when you see him, you immediately know it has to be the same person that you knew in his earthly life. And so the best analogy I can think of is like meeting a childhood friend after you've both grown up into adults, right? It would be easy not to recognize them at first, but then you see the deep identity behind all the other physical changes that have happened over the years, all the ways that they've grown up into the person they're going to be, and you see them and you think, yes, of, of course it's them. How did I miss it at first? So Mary doesn't recognize him in his new body, even while she's talking to him, until what happens? Until Jesus says her name, right? Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned, and the whole world turned with her, and she said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. It's a, it's a tender, personal, respectful word. It's the word that she'd said to him many, many times before. 
This is the turn that changes the world, the first ever resurrection encounter. And when she sees him, she embraces him, and the color comes flooding back into her life. This time, it stays forever. See, she's permanently changed by this moment. All the grace and love and transformation that Jesus had poured into her life, it's not a temporary thing, but it's now an eternal thing because he's not a temporary person anymore, but an eternal one. What the resurrection means is all the power and all the hope and all the forgiveness and teaching and grace and joy that Jesus has poured into this world in his earthly life and in his earthly death is sealed into eternity. It lasts and it matters because the resurrection lasts and matters forever. So I was, I was talking to a friend on the phone the other day and he was painting Easter eggs with his daughter. And they were missing the color purple, okay? And of course, as a six-year-old girl, she had to have the color purple for her Easter eggs. And so what did he do? He showed her that if you mix two colors together, you can actually make a whole new color. You can make a whole new thing. And so they got red and they got blue and they mixed them together and they had all the purple that they needed for the egg that they were working on. And the resurrection is kind of like that, except the resurrection is the thing that permanently brings color into our grayscale world. Because once the encounter happens, there's no going back. All right, you, you can't make purple, or you can make purple out of blue and red, but then you can't go back in and get the red back out of the purple, right? You can't separate them again. They've been sealed together permanently. Uh, a whole new thing now exists. And when the resurrection encounter happens in a person's life, the gifts of the gospel of Jesus are sealed into you on like a spiritually molecular level. There's no going back. You are eternally connected now to the eternal resurrection life of Jesus. And now everything not only lasts, but it matters forever. You will always bear the mark of that encounter if you've encountered the resurrected Jesus. It, this is what happened to Mary, of course. When she turned to encounter the resurrected Jesus, Jesus turned her life from weeping into a life of witness. In 17, we read, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. When Jesus says, don't cling to me, he's not scolding her. This isn't uh, a warning or a threat. She's not going to melt by touching his new resurrection body. No, this is an invitation to her, her new mission. This is more like, don't just stand there, spread the word, right? You've experienced something no one else has, go let them know. Mary is known as the apostle to the apostles, the first witness to the resurrection and the first person in history who gets to say, I have seen the resurrected Lord. From weeping to witness because of one encounter. If there's any other meeting anywhere else in scripture or in world history as dramatic or as important as this one verse meeting, I don't know where it is. But even though this one's the most dramatic, it's certainly not unique. In fact, it's repeated over and over again in scripture. This is literally what happens with everyone who encounters the resurrected Jesus. We're going to look at this in the weeks to come. The disciples are turned from fear to mission. Thomas is turned from doubt 
to faith. Peter is turned from shame to love. Paul from pride to humility. And so the question is, what about you? Have you encountered the resurrected Jesus? Have you been turned? Have you been changed? I mean, he is alive right now, right? living in his resurrected body, waiting patiently for the go from his Father in heaven when he will come back here and raise everyone else who has ever lived back to life. He's watching us celebrate this one-of-a-kind life right now. I mean, he's receiving our worship, the worship that you're um, doing right now at home. He's receiving this worship, not as a distant spirit in the sky in some faraway ether, but as a human being. I mean, he reigns over our world as a human being, the first of his kind living a resurrected life. And he has made himself available to be known and loved and enjoyed and encountered by you. He's created a way for us to have a relationship with him. Not one where we can see and hear and touch him, not just yet anyway, that's coming soon. But in every other way, in the most important ways, the relationship that you can have with the resurrected king of everything is available to you right now. You can hear him through his word the Bible. He's speaking to you. He can hear you through your, through your prayers. You can enjoy him in Christian community. He cares for you through his spirit. Have you ever encountered that Jesus? Have you experienced the rest and the peace that comes from knowing the only one who has ever defeated death and sin and evil has a unique love and a unique favor for you? He He sees you, he has an eye for you, that he's watching out for you, and that he promises to usher you home into eternal life with him as you put your trust in his death and now in his new life. Encountering Jesus in that way, a resurrection encounter, really does change the entire trajectory of your life. More than a business contact, more even than a deep friendship or a spouse or a family. Encountering this man, Jesus, who who put everything on the line to rescue you back home, it will change your life. He met Mary in her weeping. Where does he need to meet you today? Maybe also in your weeping, maybe in doubt or fear, in sin, maybe in your longing to, to have a more significant, meaningful life, maybe in your boredom or your loneliness, in your loss or your anxiety. King Jesus is alive, and he's waiting, and he's knocking at the door of your heart. Turn to him, and let him turn your life into one of color forever, hope forever, not just for a minute, but into eternity, to permanently seal you into his family, and to seal himself into your life. That's the offer and the invitation of a resurrection encounter. I hope that you'll take him up on it because he's waiting to turn your life around today. Let's pray. Jesus, we do thank you. Man, what a story. The resurrection encounter, Mary Magdalene. Imagine what it was, what, what it, what it was like for her to see you with her own eyes as a resurrected life for the first time. God, you have extended that same offer to us, the transformative power of your presence in our life. Help us see you like Mary saw you. 
and, and change us from the inside. Help us delight in all you've done. Help us celebrate your resurrection and help us hope in your eternity that you offer us in your gospel. God, we ask all these things in your name. Amen.